you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the iFreak Show. Today in our panel, we have Erica Sadoon. Hi there from the bottom of the Rockies in Denver, Colorado. And I'm James Zuber. I'm calling from the top of the United States, at least uh, north-south-wise Minneapolis. Uh, we have a guest today. It's uh, Shai Mishali. Hey, everyone. I'm uh, calling from the very, very other time zone of Israel, where it's almost 10 p.m. Yeah, other side of the world for the rest of you, probably. That's great. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? <clears throat> sure. Uh, so, as, uh, as you said, my name is Shai. I'm uh, an iOS engineer these days, but actually started from backend engineering um, and kind of went did my way through of various startups until I uh, stumbled into mobile engineering. Actually, just got landed a project where the company left uh, the company to build it, and they just came over to my desk and said, "You have to know mobile now." And uh, that was about eight years ago. Um, so these days, I'm uh, I'm in charge of the Tim Hortons iOS app, which is a large Canadian uh, coffee chain, uh, known to some of you. And uh, in my free time, I do a lot of uh, open source, mainly on the R Swift uh, community and R Swift uh, core libraries, and also uh, frequently speaking at some uh, conferences and uh, stuff around that. Um, that's basically it. So, how did you get into developing? Oh wow! Um, I uh, I started at a pretty young age, I'd say. I think uh, we, we grew up in a relatively uh, low social socioeconomic uh, kind of situation. So I think from a very young age, I was very interested in all these technical gadgets that were very out of reach for me. Um, and uh, when I was about five or six. My cousin gave me his old IBM XT computer that was barely working. Um, that one uh, died a year later for my first physical bug, literally a bug inside my computer that fried the entire uh, motherboard. Uh, the good old times. That's unusual. And, uh, An actual yeah. literal bug. A literal bug. Yeah, I, uh, I. That was the first time when I understood the meaning of that word. Uh, don't think it was coined that way but uh yeah that's how i uh got acquainted with it that's um, so yeah, most, start- of us are, most of us don't deal with the literal bugs you know that was the original yeah. definition of the I word was, but uh, you've actually done it that's great yeah i'm uh you know immersed in the flames of physical bugs crawling inside my old computers uh very very funny situation now very funny then very frightening 
computer up in flames. And uh, yeah, that was pretty funny. Um, yeah, so I kind of started just filling around with web stuff at the time, like HTML, PHP 3 was my first uh, real backend language. Um, kind of begged my dad to buy me the only Hebrew book um, about that. That was just horrible, horribly translated from English, but it was enough to get started. And uh, yeah, kind of got started in my way through all these startups, uh, local startups in Israel until I uh, stumbled into mobile, into iOS specifically. Um, that's kind of how I started out. It must be hard coming from a country where, even though I know a lot of people speak English, that since so much of technical documentation is English-centric, yeah. we don't really think enough about people in countries where there's a barrier to accessing that documentation. Yeah, that's very that's very interesting. I think that, let's say, 20 years ago, that was a huge issue because you didn't have as much internet as you have today. And the younger people are going to be like, what? What do you mean you didn't have as much internet? It means that you had to use a dial-up modem to uh, actually go online. You needed to hang up your phone so you can be on online. So it wasn't as easily available and there wasn't as much information. So even if you knew English pretty well, and I studied English relatively early, and by study, I mean watch a lot of TV, um, then uh, you could get this information, but it was mainly from actual physical books, um, which is a huge privilege we have today as engineers. We can just, you know, stack overflow, actual documentation, everything is right at our fingertips. So, uh, yeah, it, it is a bit hard coming from a non-English-centric uh, country, but um, it kind of made me work harder to find this information that I needed. I think today it's much, much more, uh, much, much easier to find that kind of information. So do you consider yourself now a primarily Apple developer? So that's a great question. I don't think I, I like defining myself as an Apple engineer or an iOS engineer or a Swift engineer then because I still do some backend work. Uh, my previous company, I did both the backend in OJS and the frontend uh, in Swift uh, mobile. I fiddle around with Android a bit. I kind of try to just tackle whatever challenges facing, just try to uh, mess around with as many fun technologies that I can get my hands on. Um, yeah, I, I mean, web has kind of exploded the past few years. So I, I left web and then came back three years later and there was this big explosion of React and all these new libraries and frameworks and JavaScript coming to backend probably uh, probably five or six years ago as well. So those were very exciting times. So yeah, I wouldn't consider myself only that. Uh, I'm trying to get my head on as much as I can. So did your background with React outside of iOS drive you into using it in iOS? Um, so not, not really, actually. I think that React and Arc Swift are very, very uh, different in conception. Um, React is very interesting. I think it was the first attempt for a lightweight kind of uh, DOM rendering library. And that's why so many people got attracted to that, that concept, because before that you had mainly Angular and all these things that were very, very heavy. You still have them. But then React came and was like, we have this very lightweight thing that only does this one thing and it does it very well. And people just drew to it. 
Uh, but yeah, I don't think Arc Swift is comparable with React. There are some frameworks that build on top of Arc Swift that try to create a similar experience for developers. So you say React is a technology that's built on one big idea. For people who haven't yet jumped in, can you explain what that idea is? So I'm I'm, uh, I'm going to go on a limb here because I'm not a web engineer at all. But I'm gonna the basic idea is that you have these components and these components get properties and state um, externally, and every change to these properties or state re-renders um, the that component and the the performance benefits are also around the fact that there is no real physical DOM like in a browser. And a DOM is like actually the structure of all elements on a page. It's actually offloaded uh, to this virtual DOM tree. So the entire thing is built on the background and then only drawn on uh, uh, on the browser eventually after it's calculated, making it very, very fast and efficient. Is there a model that iOS developers already use that is at least superficially similar to how React or reactive programming works? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So um, specifically around RxSwift, because that's the community I come from and know best, there are a lot of ideas around these unidirectional flows uh, similar to what React does. Um, most of them are community built. Some of them are architectural ideas. Um, for example, uh, Krunoslav Zar, which is uh, the person who is responsible for Arc Swift, uh, he wrote the framework. He has this micro framework called Arc Feedback, where you can define these um, these feedback loops. So you can have a very similar thing to React, where you have this central storage, you have components, and whenever there are actions being invoked on that loop, it's going to re-trigger and redraw. Um, the UI elements. And for the performance, um, that's not a very reactive thing, but for the performance of a virtual DOM, I think that the only thing comparable in iOS is actually texture, uh, which was previously called Async Display Kit, which also does this thing where to offload drawing from the main thread, it would uh, calculate all of these things in the background thread and then try to offload as much as it can, only do the minimum amount of actions on the main thread. So that's also comparable to how React tried to solve these performance issues. So with reactive programming, instead of just having things that are declarative and one thing happens after another thing after another thing, you set up kind of a listener, right? That subscribes to some sort of thing happening and reacts to changes by perhaps updating a value or by running some code. Is that mm-hmm. a pretty good description of what reactive is? Yeah, I'll try, I'll try to clarify, to focus a bit, even a bit further. So generally, the, the most basic way to explain reactive is just that instead, when you do A equals one, that one is static in time. And when you have an observable of one, that repre- sorry, an observable of type int, that represents numbers over time. So whenever that observable changes, it can trigger all these actions connected to it. And then whenever that changes, just immediately uh, acts 
on any closures or UI bindings that you attach. So you can say that whenever some text field is changed, the value on the text field, it would immediately reflect on the enabled state of a button, for example, like in a login form. So I was uh, saying that you could uh, attach a UI text field uh, text property in a way that whenever you type something into the field, it's going to make the button enabled. And whenever that field is empty, it's going to automatically disable it. So you can create these strong uh, relationships of actual behaviors between UI components and streams in that way. So you talked about a couple of concepts that not everyone listening may understand. You talked about an observable, you talked about binding. Can you talk a little bit about what those are and how they work together versus like a, a straight? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So um, observable is this basic pattern in Rx where there's this object that emits values over time. Meaning, as I said earlier, that if you have this let or var that has the number one in it, that's just one value. And when you have an observable, you have many, many values coming in all the time, potentially endless. Um, so you can observe on that sequence of values and do stuff whenever that, that values change or values are emitted from that observable. So that really is the basic of how reactive stuff works in Rx and a lot of Rx-related uh, implementations. So um, yeah, that observable will emit elements and you choose what to do with these elements uh, and how to connect these elements to other streams and build behaviors with that. Um, and sorry, what was the second question? <laughs> you said- Bindings, uh, bindings, what are bindings? Yeah. And for the second thing, uh, you asked about bindings. So bindings would be, um, when you have these uh, Rx-related uh, platform agnostic concept, right? Because Rx Swift is the Swift implementation of a bigger standard dictated by the ReactiveX organization. We have it across all these different languages. We have RxJava and .NET and all of these. And there's and then there's the other side of our AppKit, UIKit um, apps and to connect that these observable streams, the platform agnostic stuff to the Apple stuff, um, there is this separate library called RxCoco that comes bundled with RxSwift. And it lets you actually take these streams and connect them. So when you say bind, you really mean connect. You connect these uh, streams directly to UI elements. So you can say whenever this uh, observable emits some text, automatically have this text be uh, the value of a text field or the value of a label or the state of a button, et cetera. That makes sense. So it seems like one of the problems that you know, a reactive approach solves is, let's say I've got some page, I've got, I'm keeping track of like how many likes my, Twitter, my tweets get, you know, they get a ton. So I had to keep track of this type of stuff. So if I, a standard imperative approach, I would just set the value because I know the value. With an observable, something else behind the scenes gets that value as the tweets and tweets, they go up and up, and mm -hmm. um, it 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 sets them. It it does it automatically. So I'm not writing more code to update the values as the valid uh, on the screen as the values uh, move up. Is that that's not right? Yeah, that's absolutely correct. So the fact that the observable emits a new value will automatically just propagate through your entire observable mm -hmm. chain. So you really need to write this one piece of code. You need to define this behavior, as I like to call it, the behavior between the observables and the UI elements and the bindings. And then that's pretty bulletproof in a way because there are no manual refreshes. There are no things to really forget. It's just data feeding other pieces of data or UI. Um, so it's very powerful in that sense. 
So what are the advantages in terms of efficiency or a number of lines of code or readability or maintainability by moving to the reactive system? What do you get? Yeah, um, I think that I'm actually going to start with the downsides because I think that's a bit more interesting. So the big downside is that there is a pretty steep learning curve when you start with Rx in general. It's not very specific to Swift. It's just a lot of new concepts because we were, as engineers, trained to build stuff line by line very imperatively. And now we have to think think of these things that happen over time uh, potentially infinitely, and we need to handle these cases. Um, so that's the downside, the way I see it. Um, for upsides, um, for readability, I think it's very easy to read uh, Rx chains because they're very sequential in how they read out, a bit like asynchroate in uh, JavaScript, if you know it. Um, you can create these chains um, that, from the original observable, would do all sorts of mutations, transformations, um, reductions, et cetera, and then do the binding or whatever uh, uh, side effect happens at the end of that chain. And it's very easy to go through it because the operators are very English-like. So when I read a reactive chain, an Rx Swift chain, it's almost like reading a sentence. So I feel like it's very easy to understand usually. You do need to understand the Rx lingo, which is what we call operators, which are really the, the building blocks you use to manipulate the observable stream. But those are that's just like the Rx language. You kind of once you know it, uh, it, it's very easy in my opinion. Um, and the second, I think that's even the, the, the bigger thing here really is that you gain confidence because when you connect data to data, there are very few ways to break your app. Um, because of the reactive sense of it, because of the fact that developers have less things to forget about. They just connect things together and they build these relationships between these objects, between data and objects. And uh, the sense of these relationships is, is what defines your app. What defines your app is the data that it's driving and not whatever uh, commands you ask it to do uh, at any given moment. Uh, so those are like the big two that I can think of. Uh, there are many more like smaller benefits. I think that it's very easy to add new features with it. I think that it's very easy to, um, you get a lot of stuff for free. For example, one of the operators that we have in Rx in general is called retry. That wherever you stick it, it's just going to retry whatever you put it on. And that could be anything. Um, you can model with an observable, even like a gigantic video decoding session that takes, I don't know, five minutes. And if it fails, you can just do dot retry and it's going to retry it without building any fancy mechanism without it. There are many more operators um, similar to that that kind of make your life easier on your day-to-day -day job. It's a pity we don't have Guy here this week because I have heard some rumors that people at Apple are getting pretty excited about reactive programming. Is this something Ooh. that you've heard as, as well? Uh, I like rumors. Um, I, I don't know. I think, I would think they don't like us so much right now because I think the RxSwift code base uh, uses generics and associate types and all these things so much. Like RxSwift really... Uh, I mean, the code, uh, the core code, not what the developers write, uses a lot of really heavy uh, Swift stuff, like very extensive generics and stuff like that. And 
Uh, I think that that's one of the reasons they added R suite to the to the compatibility suite because it used to break some stuff. Like for example, indexing or code completion sometimes in older version of Swift was very problematic. But kind of R Swift helps uh, helps them improve on that. To be honest, um, I don't know if they're excited specifically about R Swift, but I think there are you know talks in Apple about. Um, declarative UI libraries and reactive ways to connect data into these declarative UI libraries, but it's all rumors. Uh, you know what I know pretty much, probably a bit more. So you have reactive Swift. You have this reactive programming structure. Mm -hmm. How much of this feels like functional programming? How much of this feels like delegation? How much of this is familiar to people who have been in the Apple development community? Mm, that, that is a very, very good question. Um, I'll, I'll start by saying that there are two, the two biggest frameworks in iOS today to do reactive programming are Rx Swift and Reactive Swift, which are different frameworks. And uh, RxSwift, as I said, works based on the ReactiveX standards that a lot of other uh, languages use. And ReactiveSwift decided they want to try to steer away from the standard and build what they think is right, which is great. I really like ReactiveSwift as well. I have no problem with it. Uh, just different approaches. So the advantage, uh, you were saying about familiar, familiarity, sorry. So I think that people coming from other languages where they used Rx can take that knowledge with them wherever they go. We see a lot of people coming to the RxSwift Slack where they would uh, take an Rx Java app built in Android and work out some of that logic um, into their iOS app. And most of the concepts are very, very similar and the knowledge is transferable. So about familiarity, that's a very big uh, point with RxSwift specifically. So for iOS and, uh, engineers specifically, I think some of the concepts are a big, a big chunk of the concepts uh, are going to be pretty, um, pretty unfamiliar, just because uh, it's not, it's not very similar to the Apple APIs and the UIKit APIs. It kind of builds has this more generic way of dealing with all sorts of changing data over time in your app. That includes, you know, KVO and Notification Center and everything in iOS that kind of has this concept of value over time. Uh, RxSwift uh, tries to unify all of these things into one concept uh, to make everything streamlined. So um, many of the concepts that relate to UI elements are similar in, uh, in RxSwift, meaning all the RxCocoa bindings are very, very familiar, um, very, very straightforward. But the RxSwift concepts, which come from ReactiveX, are, are, as I said uh, earlier, a bit of a steep learning curve. Take a bit, uh, takes a bit longer to kind of uh, get that, I think. What are the projects that would drive you to reactive programming? Oh, wow. Tricky question. Uh, I think uh, that the easiest answer would that, uh, to that would be anything that has a lot of... Uh, information changing over time. So you benefit a lot from stuff where a lot of data is coming in and you need to route that data and you need to react on that data in a way that's very stable and uh, leaving your app very stable while you have this uh, huge amount of data coming in. But as time passed, I realized it really fits any app because 
every app has these concepts of things that are happening over time, right? For example, if you tap on a button or you tap on your screen, that's just an action over time. That's just emissions or that's just an observable sequence. So uh, really, you can model any app under observable uh, as an observable sequence or in Rx or reactive programming. So I think there are, like for a toy app, maybe I wouldn't, uh, but for a big app, uh, any app that kind of would benefit from um, the stability and uh, the declarative uh, way of connecting data streams to UI and to other data streams, then I think it fits any kind of application that you could think of. That makes it, a lot of sense. I've always liked reactive type patterns on like an app where you change one value and that affects three or four different screens with a bunch of stuff on it. You have, maybe you have a graph mm -hmm. here or you got something else here. Uh, that's where I think reactive really, really shines because otherwise you're like tracking, oh, I changed this one thing. I have to update, I have to update it on these different screens, uh, which can be a pain if you do it yeah. by yourself. So it's nice to have yeah, I, a framework. I totally agree. I also think that, for example, just uh, a very specific example that uh, map views, if you drag, a, for example, if you have a map view with locations on it, a lot of map pins and the data is coming remotely, in Rx there are libraries where you can just bind uh, that these uh, data models, just this array of data models to the map and it's just, just going to automatically drop the pins on the map without doing any manual refreshes. So we create a direct connection between the data that feeds your map to the map itself. Uh, in a way that's pretty unbreakable, as I mentioned earlier. You've hinted a bit about asynchronous feedback. How mm -hmm. much does reactive programming simplify your life when you want to create that kind of architecture where the information, whether you're loading an image or you're receiving uh, points of interest for a map, how much does reactive make that simpler than using a traditional second thread running, you know, Grand Central Dispatch or something? Uh, I think it highly simplifies it. Mainly, uh, the main reason would be because it creates this more unified way of dealing with the synchrony across your app. Uh, so all of these things that are that you deal with when you develop iOS apps, which is like notification center and delegates and closures and all these things that are happening asynchronously, uh, they're all unified under observables. And then all of the operators that you know that work on one observable work on 50 observables or on a big chain of many observables where you create the relations between them. Um, so yeah, absolutely. I think it highly simplifies just dealing with asynchrony in general. It gives you more confidence that what you write will always work the way you intended because there are no like loose screws in the middle. Uh, you have this chain and there are no missing pieces in between uh, and it just happens as you write it, uh, which is very, very fun. So with all that simplicity, you can also, there's a lot of stuff happening behind the scenes that you may not fully understand what's happening. And if you have a lot of things triggering on different values, you can get into problems with performance and things taking a long time. What tips do you have for for keeping those things from getting too bloated? Um, in general, I think you can uh, you can mess up any application, not just iOS, just in general. It's, it's easy to uh, mess up anything. I think for Rx Swift specifically, 
there are a couple of tips that I can think of. Uh, one is around memory management. Arc Swift specifically, because of the Arc-based nature of iOS, has this concept called a dispose bag, uh, where every subscription you create in a view controller or whatever uh, is added to that dispose bag. And then whenever that dispose bag turns nil, it's going to automatically uh, just tear down all of the subscriptions. And that's very useful because if you put it on a view controller or any owner, then you have this very strong ownership model between the owner of the subscriptions and the subscriptions themselves. Whenever the owner dies, the dispose bag dies, and then all the subscriptions inside it would die as well. So that's one tip that you should try to always aim to use the dispose bag um, because it just simplifies memory management in general. And the second thing is that um, the the more you dive uh, into the rabbit hole, as you say, the more you go uh, advanced uh, Rx features, then you might run into uh, just stuff you don't know. For example, uh, replay strategies or, or whatever, meaning that when you subscribe to some stream, it might replay the last value or the last two values or the last three values. And you can either the, the emitter or you can define how many values you're getting or not at all. So these are some of the concepts that um, that kind of reveal themselves over time as you gain more and more confidence and experience with Rx Swift. Um, so biggest tip for me, I guess, would be just read and understand and uh, don't be afraid to kind of just open the source code and see how this stuff is built because it might look intimidating, but most of the internals aren't too bad. Um, they're pretty straightforward to understand. And that's really how I got a very deep understanding, like a deeper understanding than I had three years ago of how Rx works in general. Can you talk about debugging? How oh, does yeah. that change? That's a good one. Uh, that That's a tricky subject in Rx. So using breakpoints with Rx Swift is pointless. Really, there's no other way to do that, to, to say that. Just because Rx Swift is built with a lot of levels of abstraction in a way, um, that, then the most like viable option for debugging um, Rx Swift is an operator called debug. And that operator, just wherever you stick it in your chain, it's just going to output whatever, whichever values are flowing through that point. Meaning if you have this observable stream that emits one, two, three, and you put a debug immediately after it, then it's going to print to the console log one, two, three. And it's very useful because, for example, if you have this chain that says, whenever someone taps on some button, fire this network request. And then you look at your logs and you see, this is weird. I have two network requests firing. So you can put a debug right after that point and see, oh, this thing is emitting twice, actually. And then you can kind of go and uh, fix that thing. So I think that's really the most useful way to debug uh, uh, just subscriptions and emissions coming from uh, observable sequences. And for uh, the second part of debugging for me is just debugging uh, memory issues in general. And um, that is pretty similar across uh, just iOS apps in general. Instruments are very helpful, but there's just one concept specific to Rx Swift. There is this uh, global debug thing that, that is only built in the debug mode of the app that is called resources. And you can just uh, print these resources dot total resource count. And you can just print that before and after you leave your screen. And then if you see that change, then you know you have some memory leak inside of your uh, subscriptions, which is really, really useful. But you don't have to use that because instruments is pretty good and uh, revealing some of these things as well. Awesome. So, uh, oh, yeah. Do you, uh, 
Anything else we want to? We're running a little bit low on time. Anything else you want to cover before we get to the picks? Well, I would kind of want to say that uh, I think our ex. So I have this talk called debunking the myth of hard about our expert. I did the next door, and I'm doing it in SwiftConf uh, in two months in uh, Germany, uh, in Köln. And like the gist of that talk is that our ex is considered very difficult. But it's not that difficult once you understand the very basic concepts of it and really these basic uh, building blocks that we kind of went over uh, in this uh, talk. So I think that people should just kind of try and experiment with it. Uh, I don't think that Rx is a one-size-fits-all, and I don't think it's uh, necessarily – I don't. I, it can definitely be overkill for some applications. Uh, but in any application that is more than like two, three screens, that things get a bit – complicated i think that it's very valuable and uh the community is very strong if you need any help you should come over to our slack we're always there and uh yeah would uh, we'd love to have you with us as they say oh very cool no, no i think people that do arc swift it's definitely a mind melt to get started to get started with mm -hmm. um, people come mm -hmm. from different backgrounds so they it takes a while to get it but once they get it everyone seems to like it I don't know anyone that says, yeah, I figured out Rx and I hated it. Yeah, I've never heard that. Yeah, I, yeah, I think that once you go Rx, it's very, like I was talking about about with Florent and uh, Maureen that were also in your uh, podcast, I think, that kind of once you understand Rx, it's very hard to think imperatively again because you're used to connecting pieces of data, like a gigantic puzzle, and it makes things much simpler when you actually understand how it works. Uh, so it's very hard to go back to regular programming, quote unquote. Okay, I've got one last question, which is, if Rx is so amazing and reactive and declarative, why isn't it the way we do auto layout? Oh, I, I, I wouldn't connect Rx to UI at all. I mean, Rx is more about data. It's more about the data that feeds your app, and it's not really about the UI that you lay out. So you would still use all of your auto layout and all, all or Snapkit or whatever you like to use to build the UI of your app, but just the way you connect pieces of data to feed that UI would change with Rx, really. There we go. So let's get to the picks. For you, the listeners of the iFreak show. Loot Crate is offering an opportunity to save 10% on any new subscription at LootCrate.com. Just enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Loot Crate is one of my favorite things. Every month I get a box in the mail, costs less than $20, and it comes with all kinds of goodies. I have stuff from just looking at my shelf, Batman, Spider-Man, Ninja Turtles, Back to the Future, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, and much, much more. So if you're a geek, a gamer, anything like that, and you want cool stuff to put around your office, cool t-shirts, comic books, etc., then definitely check out Loot Crate. To save 10% on your new subscription, go to lootcrate.com slash ruby. Again, that's lootcrate.com slash ruby to save 10% on any new subscription. Enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Erica, what do you have for us? My pick today is gist.github.com. Not only is it our favorite place to paste text, it's actually a fully featured version control system. And you may not know this, but you can actually clone 
your gist to your computer and edit them there and push them back. It's really cool. Can you do a pull request to your, to your gist? Uh, I, I don't think you can, but actually I totally agree about gist.github.com. Uh, it's a really awesome service. I'm going to give a bonus fact about um, sorry about that. Wikis inside repositories, you can actually clone those locally and build the wiki locally and push it or even do a PR of it on GitHub, which is a very uh, lesser known fact as long as we're on GitHub. Very cool. Is that your only pick? For my pick, I, well, I'll have to go with an Rx related thing. So I'm not going to, I have actually a list of picks, but I don't think we will have time for all of them. So I'm just going to go with one. Um, we have a website called community community.rxswift.org where there are a ton of really, really cool Rx related projects built by the community, all of them open source. We accept contributions for, you know, from the smallest contribution, uh, Type of fix to really big contributions. Everyone are really uh, friendly and helpful. And there are really cool projects that are built by Krunoslav that built Rx Swift and other very uh, prominent community members. So you should definitely uh, check that out. And yeah, the Slack channel that I mentioned earlier would be the second thing I would want to point point you out to. Excellent. So drop some links into the in the Skype chat. We'll get it in the show notes so people can find the links out and, and check those out. Those sound like great resources. Sounds good. Sounds good. So I've got one pick. My wife and I, we've been watching a show on Amazon uh, Amazon Prime, the, the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which is about a Upper West Side housewife whose husband leaves her and she decides to get into, into stand-up comedy, which um, very original show. Um, I loved it. My wife loved it. My parents liked it. My mom, my dad. Uh, it's a great show. Very funny. Lenny Bruce makes an appearance. So if you have Amazon Prime, not in person though, he he is played by an actor. Yes, thank you, thank you for the clarification. People would be uh, very very surprised if Lenny Bruce actually showed up. <laughs> it's a fantastic show. I really love it, but I do warn people: it is not for the faint of heart. Not for the faint of heart. I would. Is it? Is it? How so? It, I would. I would say it's an R-rated show. It definitely R-rated. There's there's um some blue language. Quite um, blue. In fact, true. there's people getting arrested for blue language in the show. But in the fifties. I mean, you can get arrested right. pretty easily. But if you're thinking of it as a heartwarming family show, it is a heartwarming family show. It's just not a heartwarming family show you're going to share with people under the age of eighteen. Uh, fair point. I, I agree wholeheartedly. You watch it when your kids go to bed. Uh, but no, great show. And if you have Amazon Prime, you can watch it. I never go over, I never go over to the Amazon app to watch. I just do Netflix. But um, there it is. So and it's been renewed. Oh, I definitely got me curious. Now I'm very interested in, in watching it. I feel like uh, you, you two watch it. I never did. Uh, sounds very good. It starts out a bit slowly, but then it just grabs you. I, I kind of like these kind of shows, kind of like Breaking Bad. It starts very slowly and then kind of just boosts up. That's just my kind of show. It's true. We're only, we're only through one season at this point, so who knows? She might break bad or she might get huge. <laughs> true. Different part of the – who knows where it's going to go. Anyway, Shai, thanks for coming out. That was a good intro and good insight into, into reactive programming. So thanks so much. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having if me. People want, if people want to get a hold of you, how can they find you? 
Um, just uh, freak for PC, either on GitHub, Twitter, Facebook, uh, whatever. I I'm, uh, I'm uh, just DM me or message me. Usually available, it's no problem. Excellent. So for everyone else, we'll see you all next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.